Welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast, where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in. Unsolicited feedback. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. No one likes receiving feedback they didn't ask for. I'll use my kids as an example. They aren't super happy when I say something like, I know you didn't ask me to walk through your room, but you know what? I did. And it's a disaster. There are Lego on every surface. How, by the way, do you sit at your desk to do your homework? Laundry doesn't go on the floor. It goes in the basket. You should know that by now. I've said it many times before. And why, oh why, are the discarded drafts of the story writing crumpled on the floor instead of in the recycling bin? I'll take things a step further to say that people often don't even like to receive the feedback they have asked for. Consider for yourself, the last time you asked someone else for input on your work, were you actually interested in constructive critique or secretly hoping that the feedback giver would say, it's perfect, great job you! I'm definitely guilty of this. And while my immediate response to feedback, whether solicited or otherwise, may not always be gracious, I do find that when I step back and truly listen to it and take the time to act upon it, the product is always better. Today, I want to talk about some feedback that people have told me they hate to receive and what you might do when this happens to you or to keep it from happening in the first place. I posed a question about undesirable feedback on Twitter that garnered quite a few responses. I've used that, plus my own experience, to bucket into five broad categories of undesirable feedback. Let's kick things off with the first. The lack of feedback, or the lack of actionable feedback. Some verbatim gripes. When there's no feedback, silence is a killer. Back to the drawing board. Or feel-good platitudes with no actual useful feedback. Looks good, or it's fine. Or what about when someone says to you, I'll know it when I see it. Or something like, I don't know what I want, but this isn't it. Or the ambiguous, it's missing something. What do you do? In the instance when you're not getting feedback at all, start by considering why you aren't hearing anything back. Is the person you're asking too busy? Maybe it's not high on their priority list or they don't understand how useful it will be. Perhaps they don't believe you'll act upon it. I hope through these questions, it brings to the front of your mind the person from whom you're asking for input. They don't owe you this. It's going to take thought and time on their part. If they are resisting or simply not responding, do your best to understand why. Then you can either address their specific concern, or maybe this thought exercise will lead you to realize that you're actually not asking the right person, or that you'd have better success through a different route, either approaching the given person differently or asking someone else altogether. When you are getting feedback, but it's not useful, my advice is to be explicit in framing the specific input that will be useful. When you simply say something like, can you take a look at this and let me know what you think? That's a lazy way to ask. And you shouldn't be surprised then when you get responses back like, I like it, or it's missing something. 
When you ask for someone's time and attention to review your work, the onus is on you to be clear about exactly what would be useful. This will help you ensure that you get the right sorts of input and at the right points in the process so that it's more likely to be something that's truly useful and that you can actually act upon. This also, by the way, will build goodwill with the person you're asking when you do act upon what they share and also provides useful guidance for the person who is sharing their thoughts. Speaking of sharing, I'll share some examples of the questions you can ask to get targeted input. I'll talk through a mix here that could apply to a graph, a slide, or a presentation. These are just a few ideas to get you thinking about how you might ask for targeted feedback. Does the type of graph I've chosen make sense given the data I'm showing? What questions do you have after reviewing that I should work to answer directly? Is the point clear? How would you articulate the primary takeaway? How do you feel about the general layout? What do you pay attention to first? What about after that? Is there anything that strikes you as overly or unnecessarily complicated? I only have a set amount of time say 30 minutes or by the end of the day to make changes? Do you see any issues that absolutely have to be addressed? What are the must-haves versus the nice-to-haves? When it comes to the overall design, does it feel organized and cohesive? Related to this final question, be thoughtful about when in your process you ask for input. Lower fidelity iterations, for example, a sketch of a graph or a sticky note outline can be useful to get broad directional input. With something rough, you could make it clear that the finer design details haven't been set or aren't relevant at this point. Whereas if you show something that looks polished, it begs for those design details to be critiqued. On the flip side of this, if you really want input and something looks final, some people might shy away from giving candid feedback if it seems like it's too late in the process to do so. Let's shift gears to another category of undesired feedback. Requests to change what you show, possibly even fudge the numbers. This can come in the form of questions like, can we make this or that look smaller or bigger to support our narrative? Or can you make it look more complicated? Can you truncate the axis to show the real growth? Ah, these are tricky <laughs> requests. And I would say first, understanding intent can be useful and important here. What is the requester's goal? Or what are they really trying to get at? I've seen instances in the past where someone thought feedback like this was request to make up numbers when really it was the person asking, maybe not having the right vocabulary or sharing the same vocabulary when it came to what they were really after. Sometimes what seems like a totally unreasonable request is really just a misunderstanding. Conversation is key here to be able to assess. That said, in cases where you do this or it's otherwise clear that someone is asking you to do something that is misleading, sometimes you can anchor the thing they want to see play out in something that is true. Uh, for example, a segment where the hoped for takeaway applies. You can use that then to create common ground, point out where they are right or where what they hoped to see happen actually does play out, and then use that to transition to the broader picture where it does not. 
if data really doesn't support what someone wants to do, that can also be okay. Decisions are made for a variety of reasons. Business context may support something that data doesn't. In some cases, it can be totally appropriate to say something like, that hypothesis, unfortunately, doesn't play out in the data. Or that thing you were hoping to see or find, we're not actually seeing it in the data. But that doesn't mean you can't still act in the way you want to or recommend a given action. Data is a single input in any decision-making process. There is always also business context or other context to bring into play. And that can drive people to make reasonable decisions, even if they aren't, quote, unquote, data-driven. When you're in a position where you really can't push back on this or it wouldn't be appropriate to do so, consider where there are others who could or others who understand the broader context of the situation and the personalities involved who might be able to help counsel you or brainstorm feasible solutions. Let's turn to a perhaps more benign category of feedback, critique related to the use of colors or branding. This might take the form of, I don't like the colors, or it's beautiful, but it doesn't fit our brand guidelines, or add more color, make it pop. When it comes to branding, you should certainly be aware of brand guidelines and when you need to use them. I'll also just point out for those who work with other organizations, for example, in a consulting capacity, you should also be aware when it might make sense or might even be required to use your client's brand guidelines. Related to this, I'd like to read a quick excerpt from my latest book, Storytelling with You. While some balk at the idea of using branded templates due to the perceived constraints they impose, I suggest reframing. Using something that already exists is an easier starting point, particularly if you aren't a designer. This will make your process more efficient because there are far fewer decisions to consider. Standard templates also lend professionalism and consistency. The exception would be if the standard template really is awful. When people complain about presentation templates, the top gripes voiced have to do with color and visual distractions. Personally, I don't buy the our brand colors are horrible argument. This is perhaps true if you use multiple brand colors together, but thoughtful integration of black and gray to augment a single brand color will almost always alleviate this issue and is generally accepted even within a required color palette. Harder to overcome is when the slide template is already visually busy before you've added any content to it. This could be due to a vibrant background color or pattern, added embellishments, or a prominent logo. If you have to use something with a challenge like this, it means you have to be even more careful about what you add to the slide and generally put fewer elements than you would otherwise. You'll also have to be thoughtful to create sufficient visual contrast to direct attention without completely overwhelming your audience. If you find yourself fighting with the existing slide template, look for avenues to delicately provide feedback to those requiring or creating it. Alternatively, you may have leeway to make minor changes directly. 
And that was from Chapter 5 of Storytelling with You, which is titled Set the Style and Structure. You'll find many more tips and strategies related to presentation planning, creation, and delivery there, too. Also point your attention to a past Storytelling with Data challenge called Rebrand It, in which we gave an example graph and asked people to style it after a chosen brand. You can check that out to see several dozen stylized redesigns. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. When someone asks for more color, there could be one of a couple of things happening. First, one issue I sometimes see is when people declutter their graph or slide, but then stop there. And this can leave things feeling overly stripped down if you don't also take steps to show where to look and why to look there. Color can help on the former, as those who follow our work know. At Storytelling with Data, we're big advocates of using color sparingly to direct attention. And you can pair this with words, either in your spoken narrative or written directly on the graph, or both. Make it clear why you want someone to look there. Doing this also gets people less focused on the design of the graph and more on the information that the graph is showing. Another instance in which you might get feedback about color is if the general design is weak or lacking in some way. People may not have the vocabulary to articulate the issue, but can feel that something is off. Color is easy to comment on as a design aspect. In this case, turning to someone who has good design chops for feedback could be useful and help you identify root causes. Speaking of design, the fourth category of feedback people dislike receiving was about design details. One person recounted, in an attempt to modernize, I use less colors and incorporate the legend in the title. But the response was, you forgot the legend, and how come there aren't more colors? Other points of undesired feedback in this category include too much or too little white space and font choice. One commenter on Twitter summed it up well. It's hard to navigate options not grounded in design principles. For example, I don't like X. A couple of thoughts come to mind for addressing this sort of feedback. In the case where you're making changes to maybe how things have been done in the past or doing things differently than what might be expected, call that out explicitly. And do that, if possible, before people give you feedback, because then your response can reference it, if that makes sense. You can caveat to say, I've done this thing a little differently, and here is why. Point out the change and use it to set the context up front. Or if you aren't able to do that and receive the comment, there are likely cases where you can raise it at that point. I was trying something new here. This is why. But given your comment, I'm not sure it worked. In light of that, will you change your feedback in any way or do you do it, still stand by it? Does it still hold true? And sometimes the simple additional context and reflection might cause people to change their view. No, ah, okay, now I get it. If it's a case where you're asking for feedback and specifically don't want design feedback, make that clear. In that case, you might caveat your feedback requests with the fact that you're using the corporate guidelines, so fonts and colors are set. You're not going to be able to change those. I will just touch again on one comment I made earlier, which is if you're looking for meta-directional feedback rather than design input, this can be easier when you mock something up low-tech. Uh, for example, on paper or where things otherwise simply don't look final. 
and then be clear on exactly what you want feedback on. As we've discussed, this can sometimes avert input that isn't of the variety you're after. If you get negative feedback on colors or font and are annoyed, but can also see the possibility that the feedback is legitimate, this can be a great scenario in which to get additional input to test this. Then you can be armed with the super specific component you want feedback on. I'm going to ask you to take a look at something and I want you to focus primarily on the font. Does it feel okay to you or do you see any issues? Do this a couple of times with different people and you'll either confirm that things are fine or realize that you probably do need to make a change. When it comes to opinion feedback, I don't like X. If this is unsolicited, unhelpful, and from someone, let's say, unimportant, you can probably choose to ignore it. I would say do recognize, though, that this was someone's opinion, which makes it possible that it might be others' opinions, too. So if you want to be sure, you could test it out with some other people, as I just suggested. If you're getting this input from someone you have to listen to, a manager or an important stakeholder, then you need to work to better understand it. If you can ask questions to do so, do it. Uh, these can be things like, can you say more? Or what specifically is getting under your skin? How would you approach it? What suggestions for improvement do you have? If you can't get more detailed feedback in that manner, rather than simply shoot in the dark and continue to bring forward iterations to be met with similar vague dislike, you might try giving options. In some cases, it might make sense to fully flesh out two or three different versions to build a better understanding of their preferences. But you don't necessarily even have to go that far. You could find examples of other people's work. The goal would be to identify varied options that you think are good and that you could reasonably emulate in the given scenario and then have the critiquer either pick their favorite or point out which aspects they like or dislike of each. Alternatively, if you know others whose work is well received by the same critic, look at it. Consider what dimensions you could pull into your work so that it's better received. Let's shift to the final category of unwelcome feedback that I'm going to cover today, and I hear this one regularly, suggesting changes or asking questions prematurely. One Twitter commenter shared, Storytelling with data often requires more than one visual. I hate it when people don't shut up and listen and ask questions that are answered on the next slide. Another example of this, commenting on chart choice before taking the time to understand what is being shown. It could be true that it isn't generally a good chart choice, but that it works in the given situation. Or another along similar lines, not taking the time to review the full deck before giving suggestions. If people are interrupting with feedback, the first thing I'd say is be happy about that. It means you have their attention on your work, which can be a difficult thing to achieve. So just pause and appreciate that. They can only interrupt when you're actually sharing your content live in a meeting, a presentation, or maybe a virtual session of some point. This means that you can direct them with your words. Before you offer material for them to interrupt, set their expectations. Today, I'm going to take you through a story. It's a nuanced one, so it's going to take more than a single graph or slide. Some of what I'm going to show will spark questions. I'm happy to have you raise those as we go, but please also realize that I'll answer many of them over the course of the path I've curated for you today. 
Don't tell people not to ask questions or even to save them until the end. Maybe sometimes that would be appropriate, but generally it's a good thing to get your audience involved and engaged. And Q&A over the course of presenting something is a great way to do that. But this gives you the stated freedom that if someone interrupts you to ask a question they're going to answer on the next slide, now you can let them know that's a great question, such a good one that you already anticipated it and that you're going to answer it soon. When it comes to chart choices, if you can anticipate this might come up, again, you can get ahead of it. I know you dislike pie charts, but even knowing that, I chose to use one this time for this specific reason. Let's look at it together and I'll explain. Or, I realize a connected scatter plot may not be the first graph you'd reach for in a situation like this. And yes, they can be tricky to interpret, but I'm using one here because of this really interesting thing it allows us to see. Let me walk you through it. In these manners, you make it pretty much impossible for people to undercut you by giving feedback on the chart type before spending time with you to understand it. If you find that even after your explanation, you're still getting input on the graphical form, then there may be other issues. There you have it. Five categories of feedback you hate to receive and what to do. Across all of the scenarios in which you receive input, whether solicited or not, I encourage you to think critically about what success looks like and how you can try to line things up to make that happen. When you do so, think about it not only from your perspective, but from your critics and audience's perspectives too. This will help us all more gracefully give and receive feedback. Before I wrap, a couple of quick updates. Our next Storytelling with Data public half-day virtual workshop takes place on August 17th. Details and registration for that and other upcoming workshops can be found at storytellingwithdata.com workshops. Use the code PODCAST10 at checkout for 10% off registration price. That's PODCAST10. I mentioned during this episode my latest book, Storytelling With You, Plan, Create, and Deliver a Stellar Presentation. This is available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. It goes beyond good graphs and addresses a major skill gap, particularly for those working with data, communicating effectively. You can download sample content at storytellingwithyou.com if you've already read and enjoyed it. I'd be super appreciative if you would take a moment to rate and review it on Amazon, Goodreads, or your favorite platform. On the topic of books, if you teach from or would like to teach from Storytelling with Data Books, we have built and are continuing to add to a fantastic resource for university instructors. Go to storytellingwithdata.com university to learn more and join upcoming instructor-focused events. If you'd like to learn via video, or would appreciate data visualization and presentation resources to share with colleagues, check out the Storytelling with Data YouTube channel. That's at storytellingwithdata.com YouTube. Subscribe for a no-cost way to support us and be notified of new episodes. Speaking of subscribing, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share with a friend. Thanks very much for tuning in.